European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 39, Issue 6, Focus Issue on Arrhythmias, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Progress in the Management of Arrhythmias, Risk Scores, Ablation, and Anticoagulation Arrhythmias are an important cause of symptoms and sudden death. As a rule, and with the exception of atrial fibrillation, supraventricular arrhythmias mainly cause symptoms such as palpitations, anxiety, chest tightness, and dizziness, while ventricular arrhythmias are potentially lethal. In addition, atrial fibrillation is an important cause of stroke. Thus, proper treatment of these conditions is of great importance, and indeed, over the last two decades, we have experienced enormous progress in their management. In particular, catheter-based ablation made certain supraventricular arrhythmias, such as AV reentry, among others, curable, a rare option in cardiovascular medicine. In addition, while most antiarrhythmic drugs proved ineffective or dangerous in patients with ventricular arrhythmias, modern implantable cardioverter defibrillators are important tools in the prevention of sudden cardiac death. Further progress in this field is summarised in The Year in Cardiology 2017, Arrhythmia and Cardiac Devices, authored by Jan Steffel from the University of Zurich in Switzerland, and Cecilia Linder from the Karolinska Hospital in Stockholm, Sweden. Their overview looks back at the year 2017 and discusses new data on ablation and anticoagulation of atrial fibrillation and ventricular tachycardias to risk stratification and prevention of sudden cardiac death. During the last decade, with the refinement of tools, techniques, and experience, catheter-based ablation has increasingly been used for rhythm control in atrial fibrillation, and may even improve outcomes, at least in those with successful procedures. In their manuscript, Temporal Trends in Atrial Fibrillation Recurrence Rates After Ablation, between 2005 and 2014, a nationwide Danish cohort study, Yannick Langtford Pallisgaard and colleagues from the Gentofte Hospital in Hellerup, Denmark, investigated whether the recurrence rate of atrial fibrillation following ablation has improved during the last decade. Recurrent atrial fibrillation after ablation was identified in 5,425 Danish patients undergoing a first-time ablation between 2005 and 2014, with one-year follow-up in all Danish patients. While patient median age increased over time, the median atrial fibrillation duration prior to ablation decreased. The rates of recurrent atrial fibrillation decreased from 45% in 2005 to 2006 to 31% in 2013 to 2014, with the relative risk of recurrent atrial fibrillation almost halved, with an odds ratio of 0.57 in 2013 to 2014 compared to 2005 to 2006. Female gender, hypertension, atrial fibrillation duration over two years, and cardioversion within one year prior to ablation were all associated with an increased risk of recurrence. Thus, 
the success rate of first-time ablation for atrial fibrillation has markedly increased over the last years with hypertension, female sex, previous cardioversion, and prolonged duration of atrial fibrillation as risk factors of recurrence. These encouraging findings are further discussed in an editorial by Jonathan P. Piccini from the Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina, USA. The association between atrial fibrillation and dementia, most likely due to repetitive cerebral emboli, is well documented. However, it is uncertain whether oral anticoagulation offers protection. In another article entitled Less Dementia with Oral Anticoagulation in Atrial Fibrillation, Leif Freiberg and colleagues from the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden, retrospectively compared the incidence of new dementia in 444,106 patients with atrial fibrillation treated with and without oral anticoagulants. Those on anticoagulants at baseline had a 29% lower risk of dementia than those without it, and a 48% lower risk if analysed on treatment. Interestingly, new oral anticoagulants and warfarin did not differ. These exciting real-world results and their consequences for clinical practice are further discussed in an editorial by Renato Lopez from Duke Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina, USA. Based on a large body of evidence, current ESC atrial fibrillation guidelines discourage antiplatelet monotherapy as an alternative to anticoagulants. Why antiplatelet monotherapy continues to be used is unknown. In their manuscript entitled Characteristics of Patients with Atrial Fibrillation Prescribed Antiplatelet Monotherapy Compared with Those on Anticoagulants, Insights from the Garfield AF Registry, Freyek W.A. Verhoigt and colleagues from the OLVG in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, studied this issue further in 51,270 patients of the Garfield AF registry, with most of them being in CHA2DS2VA score of 2 or greater. Overall, 21% received antiplatelet monotherapy, 52% anticoagulants only, and 14% both, and the rest, none of them. Compared with patients on anticoagulants only, patients on antiplatelet monotherapy were frequently Chinese and more likely to have persistent atrial fibrillation, a history of coronary artery disease or other vascular disease, a history of bleeding or dementia. The odds for antiplatelet monotherapy increased with 5-year age increments for patients 75 years of age or older, but decreased with age increments for younger patients. Antiplatelet monotherapy patients were less likely to have paroxysmal or permanent atrial fibrillation, a history of embolism or alcohol use. Of note, about half of antiplatelet-treated patients had no indication for it except atrial fibrillation, although 71% were in CHA2DS2 VA score 2 or greater. 
Thus, prescription of antiplatelet monotherapy in newly diagnosed atrial fibrillation has declined, but even nowadays a substantial proportion of antiplatelet-treated patients with atrial fibrillation have no indication for such drugs. These concerning real-world results are put into context in an editorial by Jeff S. Healy from McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. In atrial fibrillation, mortality remains high despite effective anticoagulation. A model predicting the risk of death in these patients is currently not available. Thus, in their paper, a biomarker-based risk score to predict death in patients with atrial fibrillation, the ABC, or Age Biomarkers Clinical History, Death Risk Score. Ziad Hijazi and colleagues from the Uppsala Clinical Research Center in Sweden report on the development and internally validate their risk score in 14,611 patients. The most important predictors of death were NT-proBNP, troponin T, growth differentiation factor 15, age, and heart failure, and these were included in the ABC, or Age, Biomarkers, and Clinical History, death risk score. The score was well calibrated and yielded higher C indices than a model based on all clinical variables in both the derivation and validation cohorts. The reduction in mortality with a Pixaban was most pronounced in patients with a high ABC death score. The clinical value and usefulness of this novel score is put into clinical context in a thoughtful editorial by William Stevenson from the Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee, USA. Currently, catheter ablation is indicated in patients with symptomatic paroxysmal atrial fibrillation resistant or intolerant to antiarrhythmic drugs. Pulmonary vein isolation with versus without continued antiarrhythmic drug treatment in subjects with recurrent atrial fibrillation results from the Powder AF Multicenter Randomized Trial. Matthias Deutschever and colleagues from the University of Ghent in Belgium investigated whether continued use of previously ineffective antiarrhythmic drugs beyond the post-ablation blanking period reduces recurrent atrial tachyarrhythmias in 153 patients undergoing contact force-guided pulmonary vein isolation for paroxysmal atrial fibrillation in whom previously ineffective antiarrhythmic drugs were continued during a three-month blanking period. Baseline clinical characteristics and initial ablation procedures were comparable in both groups. The primary endpoint of any tachyarrhythmia lasting more than 30 seconds was observed in 2.7% in the antiarrhythmic on-drug therapy group and in 22% in those off antiarrhythmic drugs. Of note, those on antiarrhythmic drugs had a markedly lower rate of repeat ablation of 1.4% compared to 19% and less unscheduled arrhythmia-related healthcare visits or 2.7% versus 20.5%. Thus, in patients free of atrial fibrillation at the end of the three months post-ablation blanking period, 
continued use of previously ineffective antiarrhythmic drugs reduces recurrent atrial tachyarrhythmias in the first year after pulmonary vein isolation. These results are indeed relevant for clinical management of such patients, as pointed out in the editorial by Jeff Healy. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.